and great times. Coach Brad Korn going to join us. We're going to be talking Red Hawks volleyball with Coach Julie Yankus. They made it all the way to the OVC championship match, battling injury late in the season. Uh, another great showing, a terrific season for Red Hawks volleyball. Julie Yankus is going to join us coming up in just a little bit, so hang tight for that. Coach Brad Korn is here. How are things, Coach? Doing all right. Doing all right. Always could be better, but could also always be worse, so we're doing all right. So we were in Chattanooga over the weekend, and uh, the last time we were in Chattanooga was a similar tournament, I think, in 2012. And the thing I remembered about uh, Chattanooga was their terrific downtown. It's really clean, crime-free. There, you know, some cities you go downtown and you're not, you really don't want to walk around. They've got bustling shops and uh, just tremendous things to do down there. Uh, right around the corner from our hotel, they had an old-fashioned pinball arcade. They had a candy and soda pop store. Old-time candy, old-time soda pop, the new stuff. They had a Moon Pie General Store right around the corner. That's the kind of stuff they've got in Chattanooga. Really cool, and uh, you brought your family. I'm sure they were milling around downtown. Yeah, they did. They actually went to the uh, – there's also an aquarium a couple blocks up. Yeah. Uh, a river and an ocean, kind of an aquarium. So they had a good time with that, and uh, they enjoyed the downtown area. Of course, our players and myself, we didn't get to enjoy too much of it. They're on a business trip and in the hotel a lot. And game time's at 2 o'clock, so it's uh, morning, game, you know, and you're doing another meal after the game and meetings and film and all that type of stuff. So quick trip, but, again, a nice nice setup, nice town, nice arena, uh, good coaches, good teams, good programs. And I think we got a little better at the, at the last game, you know, and the, the first one, the second game of Evansville, the first one of the MTE, it didn't go particularly well, but I, I saw some bright spots and things that we can build on in that second game against Chattanooga. You know, I was looking at uh, your – five losses this year and the records of the teams that you played grand canyon four and one butler five and two evansville six and oh and chattanooga five and one i mean you've played some really quality competition so far in the non-conference season yeah and i think that's where it's going to be for a little while because again you took they took nine guys out of the portal so you're thinking maybe you know, if their chemistry's not right, you're playing them in the, early in the season, who knows? Same thing with Grand Canyon. Ty and Grant Foster, Sidney Curry didn't even really play the year prior. Uh, their best player was out. So you're thinking, well, maybe you can get in there like you did against South Florida, like we did against Missouri State, um, and steal a game that way. But though that hasn't been the case. We've kind of been unlucky, if you will, in the portal as it relates to that. And Evansville, too. Um, you know, a year ago they weren't very good. You know, we were up 16, 17 points in the second half over third place a year ago and totally different team, and that's what can happen nowadays in college basketball. Your roster can flip one way or the other. Of course, our roster flipped due to the portal and graduation, and I think that's where we're finding ourselves right now. You're, not only did you lose your leading score, your top two leading scores, but really your top five leading scores with Dylan Branson being out to start the season. So a lot of guys having to step up into roles that weren't there before in the you know, we've talked about it at length, Eric, but that, there's only really one way to get that, and that's to play through it. Uh, the other night I was looking out there, we had Rob, Stack, TJ, David, and I think BJ. And I was like, well, combined out there, we've got about 20 played college minutes. Uh, and so, again, that's just that's not an excuse. That's the reality of where we're at, and we, we've got to continue to grow through that, uh, albeit not fun for anybody. It's not fun for our guys. They put in a ton of work, and they work their tails off in practice, and so we've got to just keep plugging away, finding what we're doing well, Focus on that, improve that, but then at the same time, um, we can't be blinded by 
our faults either. And I think that's where we're at right now, understanding what we're not doing well and trying to eliminate that as much as possible and continue to build on um, the, the positives of what we're doing. You want to talk about uh, Evansville or Chattanooga first? Let's just let's get Evansville out of the way. All right. Well, Evansville, uh, a team that, let's face it, I mean, I got to think they're, they're going to be, when it's all said and done, uh, in terms of overall wins, they may be one of the more improved teams in the country when you just look at wins last year versus wins this year. They won five games last year, totally revamped their roster, and they're already 6-0. and So they've already won more games, and they haven't even started conference play than they won all of last season. And the thing about uh, this particular team, to me, just watching two games, it's a tough matchup for you because of their length and their size. It's one thing to have size and length, okay? I mean, you can recruit big bodies, but how skilled are they? Every one of their bigs are skilled. I mean, they've got uh, three six ten guys, all skilled, uh, and then they bring in a six nine shooter who can also get to the rim and Hummerkhaus. I mean, they, they are a, a tough matchup, I would think, for anybody that doesn't have any size. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do tomorrow night. You know, they open Missouri Valley play tomorrow. Uh, the Missouri Valley doesn't. Where do they have? I believe they're at Missouri State. So that's going to, Missouri State's been playing well. They've been so playing well, yeah. It's going to be very interesting. Um, they are much improved. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting how much can they of this hot streak can they ride. You know, really, who are you when you're when you're when things aren't going well? And so when they hit their first bit of adversity. But all that said, they faced a big adversity against Chattanooga, down 20 on the road, and find a way to come back and win that game. Um, so, again, they've, they've done a nice job. And the thing that I think about it, Eric, is they've got toughness, skill, as you mentioned, but it's older production, too. You know, their, their point guard is, was at Division two, but shot 50% from three. And he played his first two years at Bradley, won a Valley title, then went to Kentucky Wesleyan. And, oh, by the way, Kentucky Wesleyan won at Louisville this year. Good program. And now he is here. I mean, he's played a lot of basketball, exactly. played a lot of Valley basketball, and was a champion when he was at Bradley. Exactly. And then Hummerkhouse, who's really, give that kid credit, you know, he was fine, decent player, but he's put on 15 pounds. He's playing at an all-league level. Uh, he really devoted himself in the offseason to the game, and that just goes to show you how much, if you're really serious about it and you really devote yourself to what you say you want to do, you can make change and you can make progress. And uh, him at that four spot and being able to do all things, he's tough around the rim, he can make shots, uh, he's, he's producing in, at, a, at a percentage and an efficiency that makes him very difficult to guard. And then you sprinkle in a guy, the freshman kid, number 11, uh, who is skilled and can step out and hit threes. And they play a lot with those guys and kind of in some what we call elbow pinch areas out on the floor. It's not a true back to the basket, so there's a lot of open areas for cutting. And so when you don't have to just depend on one guy and necessarily handle the basketball and you can play through your fours and fives, that gives a whole different dynamic because a lot of people don't have to prepare and, and, and have to guard two guys like that on the perimeter. Uh, so they're, they're a unique matchup. And, again, momentum is a – it's a crazy thing. The first game of the year against Miami of Ohio, that Miami of Ohio had two starters down. And so Miami of Ohio's up in that game late, and then Evansville found a way to win that game. And so now and then they go and play in non-division one. So now they get some momentum going at home and get some people and some support behind them. If they lose that first game to Miami of Ohio, who knows what happens? You know, of course, you'd think they're going to win their next one. But if they go and play 
uh, at our place and lose, or if they, you just never know how it's going to go. And and Hummer House in that game had a three-minute stretch where he just every shot he took went in. He scored and, 15 of their 17 points as they came from behind and beat Miami of Ohio. I, I, it's a lot of momentum. points in a short period of time. Yeah, and so now that just breeds confidence and momentum, and it's like, well, hey, if I, until you see that happen, I think it's a lot very similar to our guys. We have not shot the basketball well to this point. And so now once we see a couple go in, and we saw for a little flurry in Central Arkansas between Gavin and Evan when they, they hit four threes there in that second half that were huge for us. And if we don't make those, we probably don't turn the game around and don't win, just to be quite honest. And so seeing the ball go in and, and in, in those stretches and giving yourself that confidence, that's what it can do. And I think that's what it did for their team. And so that's why I, I firmly believe in our team and our guys and what we can do because I think it's just a matter of time before that, that tipping point kind of breaks for us because they're doing, our guys are doing the right things, their hearts are in the right spots, we've got to get their minds continued to be in the right spots. The effort was there against Chattanooga, and it just was, um, you, know, you said it's a bad matchup, and it's also one of those things like once, especially in a quick turnaround, playing them twice in 10 days, when a team has kind of figured some things out against you, and there's really not much else you can do to, to break that or you need more time or you need a, uh, to change something else or to, to ha- be full strength in order to combat that, uh, we weren't at that point. And so once it, once it started going poorly for us, especially the way we started the game and have started games this season, it's just too much to overcome. Adam Larson is your leading scorer, and he was coming off the bench early. You moved him into the starting lineup. Uh, ironically enough, uh, he didn't uh, he didn't do a whole lot his first start. Yeah. But uh, against Evansville, 22 points, Coach. He's 6 of 8 from three-point range. Hit both of his free throws, four rebounds, two assists, a block shot. Uh, where do you think the ceiling is for Adam Larson? He's playing awfully confident right now. Yeah, and, and I mean, He's really kept us in a lot of games, you know, for, for being honest with one another. And the, the thing I like about it is he's also our third-rating rebounder right now. So if he can continue to do more, everybody knows he can shoot. The other team obviously knows he can shoot. And that was the nice thing of when we made the run to come back a little bit, a little bit against Chattanooga is that we were able to use him in different areas. You know, he doesn't have to just be a shooter. So now he's made a couple. He can space the floor in transition, which opens it up for Rob, BJ, and other guards. It helps post players, and we can put him in positions now because he really helps make the game four-on-four in the half court. So now that means more space. He's made a couple shots. Now we can use him as a screener because people aren't going to lose the form. You have to account for him on certain actions in certain ways. So in the Chattanooga game, we were able to move him around and do a lot of things to start the second half. Uh, to where he was able to to set other guys up by just being who he is and by producing the way that he's been able to produce for us. So uh, continue to get to the foul line, uh, continue to, to give effort on the defensive end. Uh, you know, I, it can't be one of those situations where Adam gets us 22, but he gives up 21. It can't be a net one. You know, let's get to the point where we're all kind of those net tens and net nines, and so now we can build a little bit of a lead and we're not just changing baskets. So that, that can kind of be the next step for him as we progress and he can keep pushing his ceiling even higher because he's got a lot of talent and a lot of ability that we all see. So Adam Larson, Coach, um, he has such a quick release yeah. with his shot. First and of all, he's 6'9". Right. He's jumping over people. But, uh, you know, some guys, when guys are running at shooters and they try to get a quick release, they're not as accurate. Rate how quick his release is and how it doesn't affect him when guys are running at him. And there were times where, you know, he would give the ball fake and then just drive around the defender who's sprinting out to try and defend him. But he's got such a quick release. Yeah, it's it's one of the quicker ones. And a lot of sometimes um, bigger guys, taller guys, need a little bit more time. Um, 
But it is, it's, it's super, and it's very, very consistent. I think that's the thing you look at all great shooters, you, even Steph Curry, the greatest shooters, even Reggie Miller, even though it didn't look as pure as like Adam Larson's, like those guys, they shot the ball the exact same way every single time. And so Adam's one of those guys, anytime he shoots and misses, you're wondering like what happened. You know, you just feel he's going to make every, every shot because it's just a, he just has a natural ability to shoot the basketball. He really does. I think it's um, his dad was his high school coach, but I, I think just some of that God-given ability and talent that he has to uh, to be able to shoot it that way. And again, he's been able to mix it up and get to the foul line a little bit more this year, which is also encouraging. It doesn't have to be just that for him. You mentioned Reggie Miller, who had a a, a unique looking shot. I'm sure you remember Josh Cross played at SIU. Yeah, I played with Josh. Okay, Josh. He had a brother. I think his name Dan. was Joe. Was Joe it? Was and it? Dan. Wh- yeah. Which one played at Florida? Dan. 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 Yep. Do you remember his shot? It almost went sideways when he shot it. It didn't have like the regular rotation, but I mean, wasn't he an All-American, yeah. Dan Cross? Yeah, I th- he might have had a cup of coffee in the NBA as well. But I know he played. Do you remember overseas. that weird a rotation that guy yeah. had on his shot? Yeah, and a lot of guys like that too. There's there's quite a few people out there. Um, and again, I say Reggie Miller just because that's who I grew up kind of right. watching that era, and his was kind of one of the most. I mean, even Larry Bird. I mean, he brought that thing all the way back right. behind his head. So, again, the consistency of it, though. Are you consistent in the way you shoot? Are your feet set? Or you know, you look at Adam. Anytime Adam shoots, his feet are set, and his release and everything he does is mechanically is exact same every single time. And so, I think even though you may not be a those guys may not be a pure technical shooter like a Steph Curry, for instance. But as long as your reps are the exact same every single time, you know where that ball is going. And uh, it's really muscle memory, and a lot of free throws are that way too. T.J. Beal came off the bench in the uh, Evansville game, Coach. He gave you 15 minutes, 11 points in the game. And, you know, he had uh, struggled from the free throw line early in the season. But, again, it's a small sample size. Comes in, hits all four of his free throws. T.J. Beal looks like a guy who's starting to get a little more comfortable in Division One basketball. Yeah, he's, again, didn't play last year. It was about this time, uh, might even, yeah, it was about this time a year ago when he got hurt at his junior college. And he, so then he didn't play the rest of the season. And so he, again, another one of those guys that's kind of coming in the, in, into his own and with those minutes and reps that he's getting in live action against good quality opponents. You know, as you, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, that's not the best way you want to do it. Uh, we could have front-loaded our, our schedule with some other games, give guys a little bit more. We have some of those games coming up. But I think it's good for our guys to get kind of smacked in the mouth here a little bit, to understand what it really is, gain some confidence here in the next two, three weeks, heading into Christmas break, and then uh, really know what we've got come January, late December, OVC play. But TJ's one of those guys we got to count on. He can do a lot of different things. You know, we we got to be able to count on him defensively. we got to be able to count on him to rebound the basketball. Um, the thing I like about him is, in, especially in the Chattanooga game, you mentioned Evansville, and he really got did some nice things in the post in that mid-range area. But even in the Chattanooga game, strong drives to the basket. You know, he was very, very aggressive towards the basket. And uh, he can do those types of things. For TJ's another one of those guys. Uh, you talk about you get frustrated at him sometimes, or I do. I get frustrated because he's got this ability and this talent that you see. And so when he doesn't do it every single time, you're kind of like, you want to fire him up a little bit more. But, again, it's got to he's got to get more reps at it. And I, I think he's going to be a heck of a player for us. So Josh Early is your starting post, but you're, you're getting a lot more minutes uh, for David Idata. He's seeing more time on the floor. Also seeing more time out there is uh, Mason Handback. Uh, how important is it for these guys? Because we know it's been a long time since Idata has been out there. And Mason Handback, I mean, 
Let's face it. I mean, he was just a freshman last year. Just uh, got his first little taste of uh, Division One basketball. But but guys that give you size and length inside and production. You know, it's just let's call it what it is. If a, if one of our big guys is getting, you know, six, seven rebounds and a half, and then David ended with twelve against Chattanooga, he's going to get the minutes. You know, I just that's just where it's at. Um, and Mason's done a nice job of finishing around the rim and knowing exactly who he is and what he is and being physical, uh, defending your position. You know, I think we talk a lot about that on the perimeter, but it's in the post, too. you got to be able to defend your position. you got to be able to rebound, execute plays. And so, again, another guy, it sounds like a broken record, but David, again, more games, more reps, and I think he'll be able to have more consistency in his, in, in his production as the season goes on as he gets more of those minutes because he kind of went up and down, up and down these first couple games. Uh, but the way he approaches the game, Eric, uh, the way he goes about it, coming to practice, stretching out before, uh, attacking, running, attacking drills, that's going to pay dividends. You know, we everybody wants the microwave and the right-of-way success. It's not going to happen. It never happens that fast for big guys anyway. Uh, but it's not going to happen for him, especially not having ever played college basketball before. This, this is his sixth college basketball game ever in his life. And so, again, if he can continue to have and play the way that he did against Chattanooga, that's very, very encouraging for us because he was a physical force, played with a high motor, 12 rebounds. And we'll continue to work with him around the rim. Missed a couple layups around the around the rim that we got to make, and uh, I think he'll he puts in enough work to where though we are he'll pay dividends. It will pay dividends for us down the line. You know, sometimes you watch guys play, and maybe you don't see uh, as much emotion, or a guy misses a shot, you, you you don't see any emotion versus whether they made the shot. I know with David Idata, what I've seen early in the season. Uh, you know, if he makes a mistake, you can see it on his face where you know, maybe he'll pound his fist or whatever. I mean, he is into every play, and he's not one of those guys that just looks like a laid-back guy out there playing at all. Yeah, it's um, we've talked to a lot of to him about that a lot, and sometimes it carries over to the next play. So we just try to keep focused. He wants to do so well. I think that's the thing you appreciate about David and, and TJ people that don't necessarily grow up in America, per se, they understand the opportunity that SEMO and basketball is providing. And so he wants to do everything perfect. He wants to do everything so well because he understands and appreciates this opportunity that he's got. He doesn't want to let it go by. So sometimes he thinks he has to play perfect. I try to remind him all the time, not just offensively, but defensively more so around the rim, leaving your feet, giving guys angles. It's like, even Shaq missed, you know, 40% of his shots. So just... A guy gets you, you know, they get to practice and coach too. So if they, if, if somebody gets you, just stay consistent, stay true to what we're doing, and then get a rebound. Same thing offensively. You might miss a layup, Dave, but if you grab it and stick it back, you're still shooting 50%. We'd love for you to shoot 70, uh, but, again, let's let's not go 0 for 1. At a minimum, let's go 1 for 2. So keep playing. Get to the next play, Dave. Don't just beat yourself up on every single play. And I think Gavin Elkino is kind of that same way. He gets so down on himself. If he doesn't make a shot, because, again, you're thinking my value is in making shots. Well, there's so much other things that you can do in the game of basketball other than just shoot. Now, we would love, because that's one of his greatest strengths, is to be able to make shots and to make open shots. But he did a nice job the other night against Central Arkansas getting to the getting rebounds. Evan Ursher got six rebounds. So, again, you don't have to play perfect in what you're doing, but you do have to be consistent and produce. With David Idata, I had a chance to talk to him uh, on the trip when we went out to Phoenix and – it's kind of cool how much he loves basketball, and he does love basketball. Uh, but he told me in the Netherlands, no one cares about basketball. It's soccer. He, he was like, you know, he, he that's f- flat out said, you know, they, they really don't care much about basketball in the Netherlands. He does. 
Yeah, he does, and a huge individual. And you've just seen the game just overall, the worldwide game of basketball has just grown so much. And just with technology and social and everything else on the Internet, it has shrunk so much. So you're able to find guys. There's a bunch of, you know, you look at the NBA draft this year coming up, there's going to be it's a lot of European, a lot of foreign players. And even in college now, there's so many guys. Gonzaga kind of made it cool and popular to go over there. St. Mary's is another very good college basketball program that, recruits internationally and does a lot in Australia. Um, so again, but then they had a guy like Patty Mills. So you get a guy like that and it opens up doors because now all those countrymen, people see that guy. So the Netherlands kids that grow up that might end up being 6'9", they see David Idata and like, man, I want to be the next David Idata now. Oh, he went to SEMO, I'll go to SEMO. So that's kind of how that happens for guys like Gonzaga, St. Mary's and other people. Um, but there's a lot more influx of international kids than there ever has been before in the college game in, the, in America. So you look at a guy like Idata, and he's from the Netherlands. How in the world did you find out about him? How did you get in contact with him? How did you recruit him? Why is David Idata in Cape Girardeau? Uh, uh, Dustin Yoder, one of our, other, our former assistants that was here, um, David had gone. So he was in actually... Uh, California, uh, Golden State Prep. So he's at prep school the, the first true year of COVID. Okay. So he was going to be at a prep school to kind of get the exposure and to play basketball in America. Well, of course, obviously COVID happened, and then in California, just everything shutting down. He went back home. So he goes back home, and then he just starts sending out these emails, basically like, hey, here, I'm 6'10", blah, 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 blah. And uh, Dustin Yoder just, you know, we knew we needed a big guy. And you're just sitting there, like most of us, instead of shopping on Amazon, he clicked the link and was doing some email recruiting. And I started watching him and seeing his clips. And the one thing, we've talked about it before, but I think the one thing, I try not to recruit too much off of clips. You know, video is different than clips because anybody, I can make you and I look good right now. It's great clips. highlight reel, right? Yeah, exactly. That's not translatable. But it's a little bit more different with big guys from the standpoint of you can see how they their feet are, you can see how they run, you can see if they're athletic, you can kind of see the timing defensively, if they've got awareness of what's going on, basketball IQ, you know, are they physical? So you can see a little bit more from a true center like David is uh, on film than maybe so you can at guard. And so just watching his clips and film, and uh, then he played a little bit, quote-unquote, club team, pro team, if you will, because that's how it goes overseas and why he was – told by the NCAA that he couldn't be eligible this first year with us. Uh, he played for that team. So you're able to see a little bit more film. And then he played with the U uh, under um, – he played with the, the national team, whatever – what ended up being 17, under 17, U18, uh, whatever team that was for the, the Dutch national team. And so we were able to see a little bit more and see what he could do on ball screens and dive. And uh, So just started up the conversation with him. He sent an email. We emailed back got in touch through whatsapp and then just literally recruited him kind of how we recruit everybody else it just was timing was a little bit off you know just with the disc the, the nine hour differential uh, but it really was all through whatsapp just like a regular text message and iphone and iMessages. and uh, once we offered then a couple more people compensate i think and uh maybe canisius offered him after that and it just was like hey man we were the first ones to offer you like these guys are just reading twitter and now jumping in on there they haven't talked to you for as long as we have and he's like he just said, you know what, I, I, this is the opportunity I was looking for to get to America, to get to a Division One school. I'll go with you guys. And, and he showed up in, in August, and uh, here we are two years later. How much is it in recruiting that you were, you are the first school to make contact? I know uh, the hitting coach for SEMO Baseball is Trevor Ezel, 
and he was a great player. Ended up transferring to Arkansas for his final season, took them to the College World Series. He was the number one hitter in the nation in the postseason for Arkansas. He was Arkansas's best player. Uh, but when he got recruited here, he was fr- he's from Arkansas, and he had given a commitment to SEMO, and then the Razorbacks came in late and said, hey, we want you to come here. And he said, I have already given my word to SEMO. And so he came to SEMO for four years before, you know, he had a red shirt, so he had that final year, and he did go play for the Razorbacks and went to the College World Series. So he had given his word. SEMO was the first to contact him. How big is that in recruiting that maybe you're the first? You're the one who made initial contact and have stayed with it the whole time, whereas these Johnny-come-latelys kind of swing in. Um, it happens quite a bit, honestly, because we have to get on the ground level if we're going to have a chance. You know, that's where the whole relationship piece comes in, knowing that people at any time over bigger schools over the, can come over the top of you and just, especially now more so than ever, sure. everything else. Uh, so I, I, it's very, very important, and a lot of times that happens. Uh, you look at a Kwan Smart. Uh, the reason he knew who Simo was is because Coach Pickens out of high school had contacted him first. Um, you know, so it, it's you always have to be first with us and where we are, and we we cast such a wide net as well. I don't, we can't be so singular focused and only focus on three people because we'll miss on, a, on such a more broad spectrum that we have to go about it. Uh, because of who we are and where we are. And knowing that at any moment all it takes is one phone call and two years of work can be gone. Uh, and that's just the reality. You know, you can you can fight it as much as you want, uh, but then you also have to know and be strategic and, you know, give Trevor a ton of credit for being that. And, and you know, I don't know anything about his personal life or his family or anything, but for someone to say that, a young person to say yeah. that and do that, that speaks volumes of who they are. Um, and then you look, and that's why you have success. You know, of course, Coach Sawyer is a great coach. They had other great players, but when you're when you're built and do things like that, you're probably it's probably going to be translatable that you have success when you get to college and your team wins and performs the way that his team and their team did perform and win back-to-back championships. So, um, I think B.J. Ward kind of fits in that mold. Sam McMahon, who was here before. Uh, we, we came down on an official visit as a junior, and so we recruited BJ for a long time. You know, for two years, he had some Missouri Valleys, some SIU's, some Valpo's, kind of calling him and you know testing the waters. And it was like him and his family both kind of got to that point of like, you know what? We know what, who these people are. They've been recruiting us for two years. Yeah, grass may be greener if they really want me, but do they really want me or are they just keeping me warm for a backup? And so you give those families credit to understand where they can go and have success and play and play through their mistakes. That's a, that's a big deal. And I think when you see people like Trevor, people like BJ make those decisions, that's the right decision because a, a jersey or a phone call or an extra T-shirt isn't what's going to make you happy when it comes time to play games. So Rob Martin spent last year at Indiana State, your starting point guard, only got to play in 12 games. They had a very veteran backcourt for Indiana State. I don't think it, it, it spoke anything about his talent or ability. They were just, you know, they were set at those positions, uh, kind of like if a Rob Martin had come to SEMO last year where you had Chris Harris I mean, you know, yeah. and, you know, you got you got guys who are already established and the playing time's just not going to be there right away right. with, uh, you know, veteran guards like you had last year. Uh, Missouri 6A Player of the Year, state champion at CBC. So, you know, his high school resume was outstanding. And he was as good as he has been all season for you yesterday, career-high 10 points. Uh, he also handed out five assists in the basketball game. Uh, four of eight from the field. 
Uh, talk about uh, the way Rob Martin played yesterday. He seems to be under control. He's not always hunting so that he can score. He's distributing first. But if there's a shot in the offense and he knows that when we go back to film session, Rob, why didn't you take that shot? He does take that shot. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm enjoying watching Rob Martin yeah. figure it out at Division One. Yeah, I think that's a good way to, to put it, figure it out. And it's so different, you know, high school to college. It's so different from your freshman year to your sophomore year. That's kind of that old saying, coaches love freshmen because they become sophomores. And so Rob just, this is kind of his freshman year, but I, I agree with you, and I think a lot of other people see it too, of what he's going to be and as he's continued to grow. He's grown a ton just in these five, six games. You know, he missed a big chunk of our, our practice, our preseason practice season as well, uh, just with a little foot injury. So he's coming. You know, he's coming along. He really understands the game. He's, he's super fast. He's a competitor. He's vocal. He wants to be good. He wants to play. He's tough. And we need it. And, of course, we when we lost what we lost out of the portal, we knew we needed something like that. You know, I've said it before, and we'll never go into another season without two point guards, uh, true point guards. You know, we've tried to play Chris there a little bit a year ago, but that just he was more of like that half-court elbow, kind of how we played him in the OVC tournament. He wasn't just a true PG. And I think when you've got BJ and Rob out there, you're in good shape. And, you're again, you're talking sophomore freshman. And to have positive assist turnover, I think they're both, if you combine them, I think they're about three to one. So that's pretty encouraging. And to see the way that they've been playing and to see Rob, um, I think he's our, our leading, our second, after Adam, he's our second leading three-point percentage player. So taking the right shots, making the right shots, it's, a hard, it's the hardest position to play in college basketball, the point guard position. And then it's the center position, uh, just because so much is on your plate in both of those positions. So if you've got a... a pretty good coach and a good point guard and a good center you're going to be okay and then you can because there's a slew of those other things you know the two guards and three guards you know you can mix and match how you how you go from there but if you've got a real point guard which rob is and bj is and a real center which i think david idata and mason handback can become the future of what we're trying to do is going to be very very bright and it's nice to see rob kind of step in and bj really to play the way he's played as a true freshman has been very especially with the schedule this isn't our numbers aren't against whoever you know there's this kind of some exhibition kind of non-competitive type of games this is some real these are real competitive real real teams teams that are going to be fighting for you know i don't see any reason why chattanooga couldn't win their conference tournament i have no they have every expectation that gcu will win their conference championship butler as long as they can go 500 in the big east they're going to go to the ncaa tournament so you know, these, to see our guys play that way against the competition that we've played to this point has been encouraging. It's not any fun to go through it now, but it's going to pay dividends for us like I think last year paid dividends for us when it came time towards the end. All right, Red Hawks are going to play at Kansas City on Thursday, and uh, the Gwinney, Gwinnett Center, I believe, is whatever the rec center is they play their games in, uh, isn't that where you got your first head coaching victory? Uh, it was against UMKC, but it was at Avila College. Oh, we played at Avila. That yeah, was because it. of COVID, right? So, uh, but uh, still, uh, in a tournament in Kansas City, we'll be back in the city where you got your first win. Yeah, and uh, you know, we Josh Early is a senior, so we, and Kez Bell's from Kansas City, so it'll be nice for those guys to go home. So we always try to go somewhere near something that Coach Weber did uh, when I was a player and, and as a coach. We always would try to get seniors kind of close back home a little bit if they're far away uh, from home. So five, five and a half hours, whatever it is, to get to get that game and because SIU and Brian wouldn't play us 
Uh, we took, we had need another road game, so we kind of took that. We kind of made sense again to get Josh back home, get Kez back home, and to get that home game. And it's a good in-state, good opponent for us to play. Do you think SIU will play you in the future? I know you don't like talking about. It. I just I, you know what I don't I do I, it's tongue in cheek because I give Brian uh, he doesn't listen to this obviously probably but I like giving him a hard time uh, but I totally understand where he's at I know our fans want to play I think we should play you know irregardless of what our roster looks like what year this that and the other it's just too close makes too much sense uh, so again instead of going an hour up the road to play them we're going five hours to play UMKC and uh, but I. The, the problem is going to be just to be completely transparent and completely honest with you is we were supposed to go to them, and you, you took that year away. So it's like I'm not going to just be at your beck and call to just go play you whenever you want. You know, I don't feel that, one, I'm not that way as a competitor. You know, that's probably I'm probably a little too fiery that way. Uh, it may seem calm and cool and collected on that, but when it gets to stuff like that, if you, I, you're never going to take advantage of a friendship. You're never going to take advantage of us because you think we're, quote, unquote, Seymour. You can just play us whenever you want. That ain't, that's not how it's going to go down either. So I'm sure it's going to probably be a stalemate here for a while and uh, until one of us gives in. But uh, it's too good of a game to pass up. So hopefully in the future we'll get that back on the schedule. All right. Uh, we're going to shift gears here now. We'll, we'll talk to you again in just a few minutes, talk about uh, Kansas City. Uh, and a game on Thursday night. We're going to switch gears. Volleyball. Julie Yankis is here. Just took uh, the Red Hawks to the OVC championship match of the tournament. I think that's five times in the last six years now for the Red Hawks. We'll talk with Julie Yankis when we come back. Quick timeout. It's the Red Hawks Coaches Show from Wings. Great times. Let's welcome in Julie Yankis. Year number 13 as the Red Hawks volleyball coach, did uh, did you think when you came here that here we'd be 13 years later and you'd have all this success as a head coach? I never thought that, especially since they hired me when I was 17. So who would have thought? <laughs> you're just barely, you just barely were allowed legally to work in the state of right, Missouri. Right. <laughs> very, very cool. Uh, so I, I got it wrong earlier. I said five of the last six years you've played in the OVC tournament title game. It, or match it is four of the last five years but three in a row and uh, you suffered a, a tough injury there right before the end of the uh the regular season i don't know when did kayla uh close when did when did she go down uh that was in our uh, home match against little rock at the end of october okay so that was uh that was a big loss how much of an adjustment did you have to make there uh when she went down a senior Yes, um, uh, definitely make a lot of big adjustments. She was a six-rotation important player for us, so um, we had to have our other uh, outside, uh, Lucy Arndt, step up and do a little bit more uh, passing and, and defense for us because uh, that was a big hole that, uh, that Kayla left. Uh, and, and then Zoe Beasley luckily uh, stepped in, and, and she's been a, a, an avid performer over the years, and so she just had to take that role and, and, and be that leader and captain she is and go in and, and take that, uh, that, that front row spot for us. So we had to make some adjustments and um, give some other people some playing time, and, you know, it's always tough when you face a, a big injury like that and, and see how the team can come together and respond. But uh, I feel like we did a very good job knowing how we did towards the end of the season after that. So late in the OVC season, you're right there for first place. So you had split at Eastern Illinois, uh, although you played well in the first match. They won that match, and you came back and won the second match. Uh, and so you're in great shape to make a run at the regular season title. Then you hit a four-match skid right before the end of the season. What do you as a coach have to do to rally everybody 
and get everybody ready for the OVC tournament because uh, you made a great run in the tournament. But uh, that, that kind of came out of nowhere, right? Yeah, it was, it was a tough last two weeks, the regular season. Um, we just didn't match up very well with Tennessee Tech. They're a great team. Um, were they picked of, to one or two in the preseason? They were right? picked to win win it with us. Win actually, okay. they, they, we were picked uh, with Tech to tie for first. So everybody knew how good they mm-hmm. were. They just hadn't been playing great right. volleyball, right? Right, right. They had some injuries in the beginning of the season, whereas we had ours at the end. So, um, so they were coming back from some injuries, had players returning. And um, they were the weren't they the hottest team in the league going mm-hmm. into the tournament? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, they had a great end of the season and made a run at it. So, um, you know, very physical. Play players we just didn't respond it was a very emotional um, trip there because once we lost uh, we kind of knew we couldn't win the regular season Uh, but then EIU loses the next day we had hope again if we won that night um, and just couldn't put it all together and so uh, it was emotional for us and I think it was a learning experience and uh, the next week uh, versus Lindenwood at home uh, we knew win or lose we were going to be the second seed um, regardless of what happened that week. So Do you try... hate when your players know that? Yeah, yeah. you don't want to think about it too right. much, but we, we did know that we were going to be two regardless. Um, so, you know, hopefully we put it on the court. And, um, you know, it's always emotional. It's our last couple matches at home. Um, you know, we, we want to do well and, and perform in front of our crowd. So it was tough to go down, especially losing a, a five-setter with Lindenwood at the end of the season. But, you know, after that, we basically had a quick turnaround. Uh, this is a unique year where – we had like three, four days, and the tournament was starting because of um, the adjustment to our schedule with Western joining the conference so late. So um, basically the talk is we're all 0-0 going into the tournament. Uh, we had 10 seniors on that team uh, who had been to some of those super seniors, had been to you know, four out of the five championship matches now. Um, they, they understand what it takes to, to win and be successful during the tournament. They understand the pressure and, and rise of the occasion, and we've seen them do it time and time again. So hoping that that kind of that leadership stepped up, and, and they did a good job, obviously, because we were able to make it back to that tournament championship. How much did it help you being a veteran coach to navigate the waters of a four-match losing streak right there at the end of the season and the disappointment because everybody could taste an OVC championship. How do you think Juliankas in year two would have handled that versus in year 13? How much do you think your experience as a head coach helps you get them ready to make the charge that you made in the tournament? Right. I mean, that that's a very good point. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time at Wings, you know, really <laughs> evaluating life. No. Uh, year two would have been a lot different. I think I would have been a lot more animated, a lot more angry, and trying to learn how to just channel that um, and understanding that the team isn't really going to respond uh, to me just being angry about that. So we knew we had another chance at a championship by winning three matches in a row, and that's that's what it came down to. So you got to focus on what you can control at that point and, and what you can focus on. We can't just sit there and, and, and hash out the last you know two weeks of the regular season just not going the way we wanted them to. So you had played a five-setter against Western Illinois earlier you get Western Illinois, and they're ahead, and all they've got to do is win one more set, and you're done, and they advance, and you rally to win a five-setter against Western Illinois. And the very same thing with Lindenwood, who had beaten you the final two matches at Hauk. You only lost three matches all season at home, uh, and then they're only one set away from eliminating you, and your team digs down and wins five-set 
swing matches in both of those matchups with Western Illinois and then with Lindenwood. Yeah, we uh, we really like to play extra volleyball, I think. I don't know. It's uh you know, it, it shows our experience, of course, like being able to rise to the occasion in that fifth set. It comes down to that. Um, you know, talk to them a lot about the, the the points in each set don't really matter. It's about the win or the loss. So sometimes once we lose it, you got to throw that away and focus on the next the next set. Um, and you just got to win by two. So um, really great to see them, you know, not want a season to end. You know, I saw I heard that in Zoe Beasley in the post-game talk uh, after the semifinal game that she was just so thankful that her, her career wasn't over yet. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people on this team were thinking because we have so many seniors that were like, we don't, we're not ready to be done. Um, and they were going to put it all out there, and they did, and, and, and things went our way, which was great to see. So in the Lindenwood match, I'm on the uh, women's basketball bus, and we're driving to Springfield, and I've got the, the match on, and I'm watching the first set, and I'm like, nothing hits the ground against Lindenwood. This is, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, it didn't look good after that first set, and uh, that was it. I mean, mm-hmm. after that, uh, you kind of took control of things. What adjustments did you make with your team versus that first set? Because they looked really good, Lindenwood, in that mm-hmm. first set. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why we weren't ready to go quite that first set, but that was my message after that was that the the points don't matter. We've lost that. We lose by two. We lose by ten. It's lost. So we've got to just move on. Uh, we start zero zero set two. Um, you know, they're they're a very scrappy team. Very creative and some of the things they were doing um i believe we are a more powerful physical team and that's what we had to focus on can we overpower them um which i believe we could we just had to get back into our playing our game and not letting lindenwood you know determine the pace of that match so it's the fifth set you're up 14 to 12 and it looks like you have won the match it's all over your team is excited they're going to play for the championship oh wait we got to go to the video review here Mm -hmm. Uh, and all of the set, kind of like the men's basketball team, they thought they had lost to Tennessee Tech in the championship game, and they went to video, and they overruled it. They overruled the play, and it goes for Lindenwood. Then you have to mentally regather. It's 14-13. What was going through your mind during the video review, and what did you say to your team when the replay said, we're playing on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, the challenge review system is wonderful until it doesn't, doesn't go your way, right? We're very happy to have it. Um, but we knew, we knew that unless that we knew we touched it. And I, we were pretty certain that they were going to get the call right um, because the video, you know, it, we felt like they were going to make the right call. Um, we would have taken it, but they went to the video. Um, we did touch it, and so we just have to respond. And luckily, you know, talking that time, it's kind of a free time out while you're going through the uh, – um, the review so you can kind of figure out what play we wanted to run we were in receive and set up a play who we wanted to give the ball to um, and, it, and it wound up uh, working out in our favor so the play you drew up won the match well it got them out of system they got the ball and then we we blocked them for the match so technically we didn't win it right on that offensive end but uh, I'll say for our blockers they were very very happy to get that key block uh, to win the match and uh, how good is Eastern Illinois and do you think they uh, you know they they were the regular season champs just edged you at the wire uh, do you think they've got a chance to uh, win a match in the uh, NCAA tournament 
You know, it's really tough in our sport. Um, you know, they, they did get a three seed in the in the pot of fours, so that's the first time that's happened in a long time for the Ohio Valley Conference. So, um, you know, they're going to have a really tall order in trying to play Mar- beat Marquette. Um, they're just a very physical, overpowering team that compared to Eastern Illinois. Uh, but not to slight Eastern Illinois. They are a great team. Um, they had a great season, and they earned that spot. And, and hopefully I think they will go and represent our conference very well. Yeah, I remember when uh, Cindy Gannon took SEMO uh, against North Carolina, and nobody gave SEMO a chance in that particular match, and they won. And they won, exactly. Reverse swept. I just saw an old uh, player. She said she found uh, the VHS tape of that match, and she was rewatching it in who's, inspiration. Who's got the VHR to play the I, VHS? I, 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 Krista Davis. I mean, I don't know that's who it was. <laughs> She had a career 39 kills or something in that match. And, uh, yeah, just saw that on social media today. So, so you got a lot of awards at the postseason banquet. Uh, Lucy Arndt, OVC Freshman of the Year. That had to mm-hmm. be cool. Yes, that's the first time in my career, and I think it's been a very long, long time that uh, a SEMO athlete has won that honor. Um, always a, a great thing for us because it's showing that you know that underclassmen that experience at that level and, and that hopefully we'll have Lucy for another three years so um, very you know very well deserved honor for her um, she's a great player great person great teammate so it's probably uh, way back when you were 16 the year before you got the SEMO job the last time maybe a, an OVC <laughs> freshman of the year came from SEMO Tara Biosmith uh, how about her third in the history of NCAA Division One volleyball in digs 3035 how impressive is that and has she set the bar so far ahead nobody is ever going to touch that record i mean it's going to be very very hard to, to get to that um especially because we've made long runs in the postseason how many matches she's been able to play um and, and what she's played through i mean she played through injuries last year and um, has just been a force for us. Uh, I think the the best line I've heard about Tara Biosmith was uh, apparently the ESPN Plus uh, commentator on Monday or Tuesday night match uh, from the OVC tournament said that water covers 70% of the earth and Tara Biosmith covers the other 30%. And I think that's a very accurate depiction. Not bad. Uh, and you've got uh, Marisa Justy. Marissa Justy, yes. Make sure that yes. I get that correct. <laughs> and uh, Izzy Lukens, also all-conference. Yes, yeah. Um, Izzy did a great job running the offense for us. Um, she suffered a, an injury later in the season, too, unfortunately, but was playing through it and, and just has great hands, able to distribute the ball well, sees the game very well. Um, she was leading the conference in assists per set for most of the season. Uh, and then Marissa Justy is a, a wonderful player, grad transfer for us. Um, Played middle, did an amazing job, but could probably probably play anywhere for us as far as any of the attacking positions. Uh, and, and she did a great job coming in with her experience that she you know she played at Butler before this and um, really brought a high level of experience and, and got overall great players. Obviously, with them earning all, all OVC honors. All right, uh, what uh, what is the turnover going to be for volleyball, and how does uh, the incoming class? look and uh, how active uh, are you guys in the portal because it's still kind of a new thing mm-hmm. the transfer portal we're definitely uh, very involved in the portal and um, trying to get transfers in we we have six freshmen coming in next year and so we still have some space to fill so really looking for some experienced players to come in and not trying to add more freshmen to that list um, so we'll have six returners um, six freshmen, and then we'll have some uh, transfers filling in there as well. And uh, I think we'll have a, a, a great mix of athletes. We've got a great 
number of returners. We talk about you know having freshman of the year back and some other key performers from this last season. Uh, and really excited about uh, who we have coming in. So, um, and we've and we've had a lot of luck with transfers. You took you know Marissa Justy for example, just talking about her. I mean her coming in and she's really happy about her experience here. She's a great example of a of a Red Hawk, and uh, she was you know became All Conference and, and did a great job. So we're continuing trying to find players like that that can come in and make a difference. So with Tara Bilesmith graduating, who's going to cover the other thirty percent of the earth? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I might take the whole team. I don't know. So uh, no, we we do have some great uh, great defenders, defensive specialists on the team. Uh, we actually have three re- or two returning, um, and they both have been able to play with Tara. Um, and so they can see and learn from her, which I think is great, um, and that I think will help us quite a bit. How closely do you monitor, okay, how many players are Eastern Illinois losing? How about Tech? How many players are graduating? You keep a close eye on that stuff, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And we'll look to see, you know, who they announced, they, who they've committed, and, and when they make some of those transfers, or people might transfer from those universities too. So um, we'll be keeping an eye on it. We already have a, a good idea of, you know, it, it, it's no secret for some of the seniors that are leaving certain schools. So um, we definitely know that uh, I think it'll be a rebuilding year for, for quite a few schools. What do you think the temperature is in your hometown of Waukesha, Wisconsin right now? Oh, gosh, I 20 degrees maybe. Yeah. That's maybe get, being nice. So you, you, you probably come down here in the wintertime, you walk around without a coat on. Players are saying, whoa, what are you doing? It's cold. You don't know what cold is. I grew up in Wisconsin. That's true. That's true. I say that a lot. I lived in Atlanta before this, and I would walk around like that, and people were looking at me like I was crazy. So <laughs> it's definitely a different world, but we got a lot of Chicagoans on the team, so they, they know how cold it can be. <laughs> Coach, we appreciate uh, you taking time with us. Congratulations on another terrific season, and uh, we appreciate talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That is Julie Yankis, the Red Hawks head volleyball coach one final uh, spot here with coach brad corn as they get set to head to kansas city missouri it's the red hawks coaches show from wings on semo esp coach brad corn rejoins us uh, we just talked volleyball with coach Juliankis and uh, you've got two daughters they were on uh, the bus ride and i'm not sure how excited they were about uh, being on the bus for five and a half hours but uh, you know a little bit about volleyball in your household, right? I do, uh, more than I ever knew before. Uh, but my, my oldest daughter, Breland, got uh, bit by it pretty bad this year. Uh, she really fell in love with playing. And uh, my wife actually, Kristen, coached their little team this year. And so it was just a, it was great for our family. It's fun to watch your kids go and play sports and find something they really love. We don't push anything on them that way. And so to see her kind of find a, find a love for it was, was pretty cool. And then it was just great. Uh, for Kristen to coach, and uh, she came home one day from practice and was like, I don't know how you do it. And then they had a bad game, and she came home and was like, I don't know why they didn't do it. We practiced that. And I just gave, just kept giving her these looks like, <laughs> I, where have you been the last 20 years? Like these, I've, You've had experience in this for the last 20 years every day I come home. So it was, uh, it was great for our family. It's great for um, – I mean, we've watched so many games, and uh, she's gone to games and how can – uh, it's pretty cool to have to that's the cool part of coach coaching is hard it's hard for the families uh, but when you can just start you know they've grown up in the profession my wife takes them everywhere and we do it with their part of it and um, and so now growing up as a as a young girl to be a young woman get to see a college team and have a team to root for that your dad is a part of and to, she knows the players and the numbers and what's going on that, that's pretty cool to see and watch so it's nice to have a championship level program a championship level coach championship level players that she can watch and emulate and uh, that's pretty cool too 
So you're six feet nine. Do we think your daughters are going to be tall? It would be an upset if they weren't tall, which is always an advantage in the sport of volleyball. Yeah, that would definitely be a 16 feet in a one seat if they're not if they're not tall. Uh, they are already tall. Uh, my wife is about five ten, so they they really don't have any chance. If the gene the gene pool stays correct, they're going to be pretty tall and, and hopefully athletic. Hopefully they're they keep their mom's looks and athleticism, and I get all the all my bad stuff stays away from them. That's fantastic. All right. Uh, Kansas City, the Ruse are your opponent coming up on Thursday night. Um, their head coach, Marvin Menzies, he had, he's had a lot of success at New Mexico State and UNLV, uh, you know, lots of NCAA tournaments. Uh, this is his second season. Uh, so you're going up against a, a very veteran and successful head coach. Have you crossed paths with Coach Menzies over the years? I have not, um, but obviously just knowing who he was and through the business and the success that they did, because New Mexico State, outside of the outlier of a year ago, have always had a great program and uh, won a bunch of games. And bunch, I forget how many NCAA tournaments, maybe 12 straight NCAA tournaments, something crazy like that down there. So I know he does a great job. Uh, they play extremely, extremely hard. Uh, they're going to pick up a little bit full court. So, again, every game is different. Every style is a little bit different, so this is going to be different than what we faced in Evansville and, and even Chattanooga to where they were going underneath a lot of ball screens, really packing it in the paint. They're going to, UMKC is going to be a little bit more out on the perimeter, a little more physical out front, uh, so it'll be a different type of a game for us, and they're coming off of losses as well for them. So uh, everybody's out here fighting for fighting for wins, uh, and uh, it's early in the season, so you got you have illness, you've got injury, you've got a lot of different things going on in all programs, so it's going to be a – should be a great little battle for us, though, and you know I think if we can continue to build on what the positives were out of that, out of the MTE and what we did well against Chattanooga, uh, keep this thing going. I think our guys are in a good spot, and um, you know it's just where we're at, you know, as a program. As far as we have to go play these true road games, it's not what is this number four or five for us already, and that's just it is what it is. And then get this one out of the way, play the way that we can play, come home with a road victory, and then come back home and take care of some stuff at home and really get some momentum going in a positive direction. Yeah, it'll be your fifth game outside of the Show Me Center. Uh, what will your players say to you when they find out that Kansas City uh, just played three games in a tournament in Nos- Nassau, the Bahamas? Your players are going to say, hey, Coach, how about the Bahamas versus Chattanooga, Tennessee? Yeah, it's um, there's a lot of expenses that go along with that uh, <laughs> with that trip as well, but uh, – that's something we do want to look at as we continue to grow our program, Eric, is to, to get into things like that. Again, because there is a financial component to that, that that's pretty significant, obviously. Sure. Uh, but, again, if we're continuing to put ourselves in positions to be uh, competitive in those types of games and those types of, of tournaments, because, again, when you look at the MTE, it was an MTE, but every MTE that we've played in has always been a true road game because that's the host school. So right. to be able to get away from that and to be able to play true neutrals you know, who knows? Do you, do you beat Chattanooga because it's not at a neutral site? You know, or because it is at a neutral site? Who knows? But it's obviously a lot more difficult playing in a true home road MTE. So looking at that in the future and also looking at other scheduling opportunities to get uh, 
good quality opponents in the Show Me Center. The league is instituting we cannot play more than two non-Division One opponents the following year, so uh, adding the two conference games next year. So the scheduling piece is always going to – it's ever-changing. Scheduling now, everyone's caught up in NIL and Portal and all that stuff. It's like, well, scheduling's kind of been this hodgepodge all along, so you might as well just throw scheduling over that because it's such a jigsaw puzzle that you try to put together every single year. So, But that's something that we're, we'll look forward to, and we always try to take our guys somewhere in scheduling. You know, we've gone to Florida, California – uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We'll continue to try to go somewhere and give an experience outside of just playing basketball. All right, uh, Kobe Clark uh, still n- not playing. I don't know if he's practicing. Uh, the knee doesn't feel right. Uh, what's uh, what's going on going forward with Kobe Clark? And Josh Early uh, was banged up and uh, and couldn't play his normal minutes. Left the game. Didn't return uh, yesterday against Chattanooga. Those those two are, are very important players for him. Yeah, I don't know what Kobe's uh, time frame will be. We just continue to monitor, monitor him and, and strengthen uh, everything within himself. And then we'll see with, with Josh. We've got to uh, talk with Amanda, our trainer, and, and him and see kind of what he's thinking and how he feels. And we're off today. So uh, we'll check back on that tomorrow and you'll see some people today, treatments, all that type of stuff, and kind of kind of day by day it's one of those situations to where you know how much can you go how much do you push in practice compared to the game and uh, so it's really kind of a gray area that we're hanging in with them and um, you know it's really almost a pain tolerance type of a situation more so than a true structural damage type of a situation and then uh, dylan branson i mean I, you know i just named three starters for you that are all hurt and not only starters they're just older experienced right. guy you know that have played we talked about the portal in evansville and their fifth year point guard and they're fourth year four man that can you know it's those guys they have experience so it may not be you can't put a stat or a number on that uh, experience especially Dylan Branson when you're talking about a heart and soul and leadership that's another big piece of what you're trying to do especially when you go on the road and and play road games but um, Dylan he'll get reevaluated this week sometime and that'll probably give us a little bit more of a definitive time frame on him but Dylan's that guy that if we let him he'd go out there and play Thursday, and, and you know, sometimes we have to save Dylan from Dylan, and that's the beautiful thing about him and his competitiveness and toughness. So, well, we should have a better better grasp on his return to play uh, after this week. Seven o'clock Thursday night in Kansas City, Coach. Thanks for the time, and uh, we'll see you in KC. All right, sounds good, Eric. Thank Don't you. forget the Red Hawk women have their classroom on the court game tomorrow. That is at eleven a.m., and we will have a lot of youngsters at the Show Me Center. Always a fun game. They'll play the Harris Still Hornets, and again, that is an eleven a.m game. Thanks to Julie Yankis, Coach Brad Korn, and uh, Rachel Cook, our engineer on site. Stay tuned. We'll get you back into regular programming on ESPN Radio. Enjoy your Monday, everybody. So long from the Coaches Show 